0: 22nd of January, I give you that date because if you didn't, uh, if you weren't part of that sermon, be good on either YouTube or Facebook. You can go back and find it in in our archives. But this is a question I asked that day of the audience. I asked this question, I said, are you really willing to give your care, your anxiety, your worry, your fear? Are you really ready to give that to the Lord? And see, I made the statement that only you can decide if you're ready to do that. So you have a choice, and the other choice is that you can hold on to that and keep it, or you can be willing to release it if those are the things that tend to haunt you, that they stay with you. Then I talked about step two, and that is, is if you've made the decision that you're ready to release those things, if you're ready to, that, to not have fear control you anymore and the doubt and the worry and the things like that that sometimes just eat us up, then you release that, and then I made the statement that step two is when doubt creeps in. When doubt creeps in. Maybe you ask yourself if that in that stage a person might say, Have I really heard what the Lord is saying? Maybe maybe you think, okay, God's given me some direction, but have I really heard what the Lord is saying? Or perhaps you do like I do sometimes and say, well, maybe I've gotten too much of me in what I think is the answer and not enough of God in that answer. It's been a month now since I asked you that question. Many of you brought your care, your anxiety, your fear those things that, that just kind of stick with you and trouble you almost like a little dog that just kind of hangs on to your pants leg all the time, and you just kind of you just can't get it shook. But some of you that day, what you did is you came forward and we had baskets here on the side, and you took a note and you wrote down what those things were, that were the things in your life that kept eating on you, and you put them in there. And I think when you came here, I think I think your uh, your thoughts, your feeling was sincere. You were asking God, God, I'm going to turn this over to you. This is no longer my issue. I'm going to turn this over to you. I've even heard some testimonies where people had given things up and and God has already moved and given given them some relief or some answer in their circumstances. But for many of us, this step two, when doubt creeps in, for many of us, step two is still in progress. Maybe you'd say this. Maybe this would be your quote, Tom. I'm still waiting. You know, I, I brought that. I brought that up, and I surrendered that. But I'm still waiting. You know, my answer hadn't come. I, I, I'm looking for relief in this situation. Perhaps you say this: that maybe I didn't pray right. Maybe I prayed for the wrong thing, or in some in some wrong direction. I use an example in Karen and I's life where. Doubt was creeping in. And you know, I say I, and, and what I've kind of, at least this is my perspective, that doubt creeping in, so you turn something over to the Lord and you do it with, with all the right things, all the right reasons, but yet after we do that, I think it's more the rule rather than an exception because if that answer doesn't come quickly, you start thinking, well, okay, well, something's amiss, something didn't work out. So I ask you this question, has doubt crept in when it comes to the issues that you had, the care, the anxiety, the fear, things that just weren't going right, maybe lost family members, whatever those things were, that have you doubting God and perhaps doubting yourself in the process? So I'll give you a, a, a this is not meant to be actually a tutorial, but let me, just mean, let me just mention a few things that are important if you find yourself in that still waiting process. One is continue to pray about it. Scripture's full of places where people continue to pray about a, a circumstance. It wasn't just one and forget it, but they continued to pray. They continued to claim it because it's important because if you're going to have faith, Scripture says that's what we're supposed to do. If you're going to have faith, we do have to claim it. We have to be confident. The other thing is, is that have faith that God is faithful. Have faith that he hears you and he answers you, but remember it is in his time, not in my time. I like the old saying, I don't actually like to say it because I'd rather have a, you know, put in the coin and say, Lord, this is what I need, and it spit out the answer. I'd like to know that, but one of the things that I've become accustomed to understanding is, is this saying, it said, he's seldom early, he's never late, and he's always on time now well, you might ask yourself well, what's all this waiting why do I have to go through this waiting process I pray about it you know scripture says we do that you know you come together with other people and you agree in prayer and you ask yourself why what's all this waiting about I can give you one answer and one answer is the fact that it's the relationship what's God want Does he care if you're a millionaire? Does he care if you can ice skate or go to the Olympics? He wants a relationship. Those things are fine. Those are worldly things. They're good. It's not bad things. But he wants a relationship that's with us. I can tell you that in my life, I've I've had prayers that I've asked, and I've asked them very sincerely. And in that prayer, I'm glad he took some time. Because some of the things I was praying for, if he'd have given them to me, I, you know, I don't know if you know uh, you know, about playing cards when you short suit yourself for a reason. I would have short suited myself if, in fact, what I'd prayed for originally, God had say, Sure, Tom, I'll be, I'll be glad to do that for you. Because later on, I come to find out that there was something even much better for me in store. I can tell you that there's times that I just couldn't understand why God would wait so long to answer something. You know, as a sincere prayer. Why would he wait this long to take that away from me, to, to help me solve this problem, to give me an answer? And I can tell you there's still things in my life that I still am waiting on. I bet you, as you said here, there's some of you that you have things you're still waiting on just like me. See, for many of us, we pray and, and we're confident, we have hope, and we expect God's very best for us. But there's others of us that even though we may pray about it, we kind of feel like, well, you know, the answer's not coming through. I'm getting what I deserve. I've led a messed up life. I've I've done stupid stuff, and I'm getting what I deserve. And you just think, okay, I, I guess that I'm just condemned to this life of living with anxiety and living with fear and burden. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take a minute... And I want us to, to pray about these things before we move on with the service. And here's what I want you to do. If in your life, maybe it's the things that you brought up here. Some of you weren't here. You may have to go back and kind of school up on what we talked about that day. But if there are things in your life that, that, are, that are fear, that are anxiety, they are things that just kind of dog you all the time, that are heavy on your mind, what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute. Now, Scripture tells us about humility. All right. Now some of you said today, say, I got some of that stuff going on. And here's what Tom's going to do in a minute. He's going to tell me, he's going to say, raise your hand. And you're going to say, that'd be the last thing I'm going to do. I got a lot of people around here watching me. But see, scripture tells us that we're to come to God humbly. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. So we're going to pray in just a minute. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to, and, and like I say, you can be not looking around, that's okay. But if you, if you are the kind of person that says, if I've got somebody near me, I'm going to go put my hand on them, I'm going, to, I'm going to agree in prayer with them, then what I want you to do is I want you to keep your head up. Find somebody that's like that and go agree in prayer with them. I'm going to do the praying, but they need your support. They need your agreement. Okay? All right. Are you ready? Okay. So here's what I want you to do with all the humility it takes. Remember, that can be its own anxiety. But if you want to be prayed for this morning, specifically, what I want you to do is I want you to hold your head up. Now, if you're the kind of person not going to get out of your seat, go ahead and bow your head because we're going to be praying. But if you're going to join somebody in prayer, keep your head up and let's look and see. Raise your hand if you've got something that you feel like that you need to be prayed about. Hold them up high. Still got some more. All right. You're going to have people come that are going to put a hand on you, and, and uh, we're going to pray about those issues right now, okay? Father, I, I come to you right now, and uh, we have this stuff that life brings. We have stuff that's educated into us. It's taught into us. It's abused into us. All the different things that can happen to us, in this situation, and Father, I pray that that the hands that are on these people, these people that have been bold and raised their hand, these people that need some resolution, Lord, there it's maybe it's fear and they're tired of that living in that fear. Maybe it's anxiety, it's worry. Maybe it's that lost loved one, and they it just it's it just frustrating them beyond belief, Lord. But I pray they're 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 making a bold statement here, Lord. They're raising their hand and saying, I need the support of my, of my prayer family, of my church body. And Lord, I, I'm, I'm surrendering these things to you, Lord. I ask you that you will step in the gap now, and that you will boldly protect me, that you will give me relief, and Lord, that you will answer my prayer. I understand that it's not in my time, it's in your time. But Father, I have the confidence, I have the faith that in fact you will answer my prayers. And they all said, Amen, thank you. The third step in that situation before we move on to Romans has to do with clarity, has to do with clarity. First thing is you had to be willing to release it, right? Second thing is realize that, it's, that you're not crazy if doubts, it comes back into your mind. That that's pretty normal for that type of thing to happen, and then the third thing that happens is this: it's clarity. Now, clarity is going to come at different times. Some of you already have seen clarity from your prayers, but for some, maybe not yet. And you're still going to be doing these things. You're still going to be praying about them and 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 expecting them faithfully to happen. Jeremiah says it well, and it, uh, Scripture is amazing because the more th- you can read this stuff. Time after time after time, but but you read it again and something goes, oh, wait, did you really pay attention to this part? Well, this is the part. So this is Jeremiah 29. It says this. It'll be a familiar verse to many of you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans to prosper you. Okay, a lot of us read that, right? I have plans to prosper you. But then the next part, I don't know, I guess I slide past it oftentimes. And it's this part, it says, and what he has plans, he has plans to prosper us, and he says, and not to harm you. Not to harm you. Some of you feel like you're in harm's way. But he's saying, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I want you to take that in. I want you to absorb that and understand that he has... Jeremiah said it. he was the prophet. This is before Christ's time. But he saw all these things as God unfolded them to him. And he saw the fact that that God had intention to prosper us, not to harm us. Now, we're getting ready to move into the brief study we're going to do on Romans here. And there's a couple of things because we're going to talk about things today. And you're going to say, yeah, it's really not that new to me. And some of you are going to look at it, and it's going to be fresh information. You're going to say, oh, I guess I I didn't know that. I guess I didn't realize it. So if you're one that this is fresh information to you, what a great thing that is, okay? But if you're one that's heard this before, remember there's a scripture. And that scripture says in Proverbs, it says this. it It says, iron sharpens iron just like one man to another. Iron sharpens iron just like one man to another. Now What's that mean? That means that as you sit here today and you hear this teaching and you say, Well, I kind of know that. But understand that what we're doing is we're sharpening each other. And why are we doing it for? So we can go home and sit in front of the TV and just live life every after? No, we're, we're sharpening each other so we can minister to other people. Just like our, just like our study, you know, we, it's love God, love others, and serve both. We're sharpening each other for those reasons. Eric in chapter 1 of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 4 here in a minute if you're following along in your scripture. But Eric in chapter 1 laid out God's plan for redemption and really the theme of Romans as he termed it. And this is what he said in Romans, the first chapter, verses 16 and 17. If you're in the U version, this stuff will be captured for you and you're going to see some of this up on the screen for you as well. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. By the way, we're we're the Gentile, we're the non-Jews. Saving the Jews first and us. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a that a righteous and that's our word for today, It's it's through faith that a righteous person has life. And see, the gospel reveals righteousness, the righteousness of God. We saw, it's all through there. We see, we see this righteous God. But see, we become righteous as well. That's what we're going to talk about today. Barclay was a Bible commentator and a pastor in the in the kind of early and mid 1900s. I loved what he said about this. He said that when he's talking about righteousness, he said, it means that God treats a sinner. Anybody in here a sinner? Yeah, we are, aren't we? God treats a sinner as if he had never been a sinner at all. Think about that. Righteousness, righteousness is when God looks at us and he looks at us we look at ourselves. We look in a mirror and we say, "Man, I've done a lot of dumb stuff in my life. I've got a long. I've been a long path trying to get to some place that I'm at." But that's not what God sees. About grace and redemption, we see we're seen so pure in God's eyes that He sees us not even as a sinner at all, because He's looking through that filter of Jesus. Nate, when he talked the other day, he said. For merely listening to the law does not make us right with God. It's obeying that makes us right in, the, in God's sight. Now, I like the old saying again. It's been used a lot, but it's the person that said, you know, just, just sitting in church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. Right? And isn't that the truth? Because that's what Nate was talking about. He said, you know, what we signed up for, it it wasn't all the ritualistic stuff. It was the change of heart, the circumcision of our heart. Justin, in chapter 3, he did a couple of definitions that are big deals for us. You'll see those up here. Justification as the act of God when he makes us free from the penalty of our sin. Okay, that kind of sounds like a scholastic definition. Let me read it again. Listen to it closely justification is the act of God when he makes us free from the penalty of sin I like the two-word definition justification is when God looks at us and he finds us not guilty righteousness that we're talking about today is as being the right standing with God according to his standards not our own standards he went on and he talked about Paul and he said that Paul, what he was doing when you read through those first few chapters of Romans, Paul was pretty hard on them. I mean, he was dressing them down, he was laying it out, and he was letting them understand, you know, that, that, that you can't live outside of what God wants you to do as Christians. Now, the purpose was this. The purpose was he wasn't trying to show the people how bad they were by doing it. He was trying to show them how good God is. And that's where we start rotating around when we start to get, it, to get into this, the chapter 4 today. Paul was creating a contrast. You know what the contrast, night and day, that's a contrast, right? So that's what Paul's doing. he said, this is, this is the life that you're leading, many of you, but this is the life that we're called to lead. So he was, call, he was, he was laying out that contrast for us in this letter to the Christians, the Jewish Christians in Rome. When I hear the word righteous that Paul used in recent chapters and that we've read, I have to admit, I I have a tendency to, when I hear righteous, I I tend to think that that means perfection. I tend to think, okay, if I'm righteous, you know, that's kind of like perfection. But the reality perfection doesn't exist, does it? It doesn't exist in man, not then and not now, not in you, not in me. We're not perfect creatures. But we can still be righteous creatures. In a narrow sense, you might say that righteousness is when we get what we deserve. Now, truly, if it wasn't for Christ, righteousness would be exactly that. But that's not the righteousness that's painted here. Bible scholars uh, do say that righteousness should include some traits. And these are traits we should have, by the way. We're righteous, if you're a believer. These are traits we should have. They say that they should, there should be, we should be full of things like integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, doing right things, correct thinking, correct feeling and acting. And I realize those sound like tall orders because we sit here and we kind of do our own self inventory and kind of go, okay, is that who I'm at? Is that who I am? Am, am I virtuous? Am I right thinking? Am I doing those things? But see, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to live out. So in the first verse of chapter 4 in Romans, it says this, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? In other words, righteousness. What did he discover about being made or being righteous with God? In his good needs that he made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. Let me read it again. I did a terrible job reading that. If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. So if you were listening to a lecture and, and you had a pop quest, and they said, hey, Tell me, what made Abraham righteous? Was it his works? No, it just told us, no. It wasn't his works, it was his faith. Now, understand that when we, when we start talking about Christians and we talk about heaven and we talk about salvation, that it isn't works that get you to heaven. And it's not being a good old boy. I don't know how many times I've heard people talk about Well, he's probably in heaven. He was a good old boy. She was sure a nice woman. I bet she's in heaven. But that's not what makes us righteous, is it? In verse 4, it goes on. It says, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but it's something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David, the Old Testament king and also the writer that wrote a lot of uh, psalms and things like that, he said this. He also he also uh, spoke of how he described happiness to those who had been declared righteous. So let me flip back just a minute because if you were in chapter three, verse ten, this is what it said. He said, "It is written, and this is scriptural. It is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one." That's from Psalm. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Now, I'm talking about righteousness, and you'd say, well, wait, 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 wait. So in chapter 3, he went back and was referring back to a verse in Psalm, and he said, there's no one righteous. I mean, so what do we do? I guess we kind of throw in the towel, right? But then we get the answer when we get over in chapter 4, because in chapter 4, starting at verse 7, what he's doing is he's quoting back again, old testament scripture and this is what david said he said he said oh what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sins are put out of sight let me read that again oh what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sins are put out of sight yes what joy for those whose record the lord has cleared of sin let that soak in Because we just read in chapter 3, there's no one righteous, no, not one. But then David comes back and says, but that's really not the way it is. See, with our profession of faith, that's a fancy word for us saying that we believe in our heart, and we confess with our mouth, that we would be saved. That's what we say. That's the bar. That's the threshold. To believe in our heart and confess that with our mouth. By doing that, we're justified. We're found not guilty, Right? irrespective of the dumb stuff we did in the old days, we're found not guilty. We become righteous not by our works, but because my sin and yours, just like David said, our sins are put out of sight. Now for us, that's not how we think, is it? Because if, if we've done that dumb stuff that I use the term of, it kind of pops back up in our mind every, every once in a while. It comes back and said, well, yeah, but what about back then? And Satan kind of planting that kind of stuff in, that self-doubt. But Scripture tells us that when we become righteous, when we accept Christ, that when God looks through that filter at us, then the reality for us is this, our, my sin and your sin, it says, are put out of sight. My record has been cleared of sin. Verse 13 of chapter 4, it goes on, it says, even when there was a reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And he may, if you've read some Old Testament, you'll know back in Genesis 22, that's when he told him, he said, that your descendants will be as numerous as as the stars in the sky, and the sand that's on the seashore. That's what, that's what you're, the, the, the nation that you're going to be raised up out of you, that's what they're going to be like. And It goes on to 19, and then it says, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. He's talking about Isaac. Some of you maybe got to be parents at a little bit older age, okay? I'm betting you weren't 190 he was he was 100 she was 90 but see that's when that's that shows the faithfulness of God because if if they'd had if they'd had Isaac at 30 and 25 they'd say well yeah everybody has kids but here's 190 and God said I'm faithful I told you this was going to happen now I'm going to I'm going to give you in your old age I'm going to give you a child I'm going to give you a son the one I'd been promising and then people have to realize that's a God thing that's happening there verse 20 Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise in fact his faith grew stronger and even he had brought glory to God he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises and because of Abraham's faith God counted him as righteous and when God counted him as righteous it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit I love the way they they they're thinking about us they write this stuff these gospel writers It wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, Scripture gives us these pearls. If you really slow down, if you go back and read 4, You find all kinds of neat stuff in there. When I read it the first time, I'll admit to you that, you know, it became my deal. I read four. and I thought, oh, boy, this is a snoozer. But then when I really said, wait, 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 this is God's Word, and you look and you think, man, there's all kinds of rich pearls in that Word. It wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just for Isaac, his son. It wasn't for Paul that wrote this or the Jewish Christians that he was writing to. But what he was doing is he's writing these scriptures to encourage us today. So see, when we started today, we started looking at the issues that affect our personal life. And we should, right? That's what faith's about. It's, it's realizing that this, quote-unquote, higher power than ourselves we have a name for him, God. We have a name for his son, Jesus. And we understand that we have stuff that affects our, per, our personal lives. We live in a world, folks. We live in a world. Stuff happens. We have people that do things and we kind of go, why would you do that? We have, you know, we have relatives, we have friends, we have people that you watch the news and you see life full of catastrophes. There's all kinds of things that can make us worried and anxious and fearful. And some of us have more of a propensity to do it, okay? Like my mom, I always talk about my mom because my mom, if she didn't have something to worry about, she'd figure out something. And some of us are just built that way. And then there's other of us, we kind of go, huh, who, me, worry? But the reality, we have a lot of stuff that's like that. But we have to remember about righteousness. We see these things we re- we've talked about today. We see these as encouragement that comes from these first chapters of Romans. It helps us understand that and, and to understand the righteousness through Christ. Okay? So as I close, here's a close, here's a few questions I want you to consider. Do I believe... That God was faithful to Abraham we read about him today right got scripture do you believe that do you believe that God was faithful to Abraham I do so do you believe Paul was a writer Romans you believe that Paul that God was faithful to Paul I mean he went through a lot of stuff I mean everything from shipwrecks to beatings to name it but do you believe that he was faithful to Paul because he was the writer of Romans and sharing these pearls of wisdom with us. And then the last thing that I would ask is this. Do you believe that God will be faithful to you? For some of us, it's easier to believe that he was faithful to Abraham. Yeah. And he was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Paul. He gave him the the grit and stick and the ability to, to write and these leave these letters that would be seen forever and ever. But yet we can accept all that, but when we get to the point of saying, do I believe he will be faithful to me? Then we struggle a little bit more with that. But that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to say, Lord, I trust you. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't always understand everything that happens, but I'm making you be in charge of my life. You're in charge of it. I'm not. You know, when I get over to the side, get me back in the middle of the road so I understand where I'm going. Don't let me get off the path. Keep me in the presence of the body of believers. You just help me, Lord, with my prayer life. Help me with my study life and realize that, that Scripture holds so many things that helps us in our everyday life. Edward Mote in 1834 almost 200 years ago wrote a song and I love the the line that I picked out and it's the one you see there on the screen it says this it says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness let's read it to get read it with me my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and and righteousness. Now, I don't know. I, I wasn't all that good in math, I kind of got by. But that's a pretty easy equation, right? We make things harder than it is. Because it's what it's telling us. It said, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be that person that we saw this righteousness, you want to be seen through that filter, then that's that's the equation. That's 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 how you solve that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where your salvation comes from. That's where your, that's where your joy in life from, comes from. That's where your sense of direction can come from, your ability to know how to treat other people and, and make your way through difficult situations and survive loss and all the things that happen because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I'll be down front as the prayer team comes. Let me pray with you as we talk about that because on Christ the solid rock we do stand bow your heads. Father I thank you for the time you've allowed us to have today just uh, again I, I just scripture how, how it unfolds I, I hope I've done a decent job of, of trying to help people understand that sat here this morning or maybe see us online that what is righteousness what is righteousness Lord, I I pray that we understand that we're righteous not because of our works. We're righteous literally because of your love for us and our willingness to accept that, Lord. It's not our our works, it's our faith. And Lord, I pray for this group that that they have that kind of faith. If there is, if there's somebody that doesn't sit in here today, they want to come up to the front, I'll be up at the front, Eric will be ready. But if there's things like that or even just stuff that's dogging you and the things that you just can't, just the fear or the worry that, that tends to stay there, Lord, that you're having a hard time helping release, I just pray, Lord, that, that we'll make herself available and that truly, truly that we can let that stuff go and realize that we are righteous. We're righteous in your eyes in Jesus' name.